The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Morning, morning Mitch. Scott. Morning. So, uh, some news this week. Obviously, lots of chatter about uh, interest rates being held. Do they follow the United States? Uh, where do we go? And and we're getting inflation numbers as well. Uh, although groceries, man, they continue to go up. Uh, seeing that like ten percent, but the general inflation rate at about five point two percent. So I guess obviously those higher interest rates did the job or are doing the job. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually impressive for a point seven decline from January's numbers. And already January's were 5.9, uh, you know, for, and obviously down to 5.2 now. 5.9 was a little less than they expected. They expected to be running at 6.2 back in January. So this is um, definitely the high interest rates or the higher interest rates have really started to pay off. And we've been saying all the way along here, Scott, that it takes a while for this to kick in. It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. Like mm-hmm. you just raise these rates and they're saying, well, inflation didn't change. You know, every everything has always said that it takes about eight to eight months to a year. And it's been about that. So here we are today and we're starting to see numbers, which in turn has led to the pause of interest rates rising. So that's great for the general inflation rate. But how do we still explain groceries running at like 10 percent? Well, you've seen the groceries change profits, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is it, you know, they say it's not them. They say it's supply chain. I mean, I, who do you I'm believe? I'm kidding. I'm kidding for all those grocery people listening. No, it's, it. Um, depending on the profit margins, this is the key. If, if, if the supplier raises it by a dollar, but they keep their margins the same, then their profits are higher because they got a, a greater dollar, dollar amount. Um, their margins are, are key. If they drop their margins, then their their profits would have been lower also. So yeah, it's it's a debate, um, and you know, it, I wouldn't want to be on the hot seat with Fortinos etc. right now, but uh, you know, th- that's why they're they're defending that they are not, but they have had record profits coincidentally. And, you know, they will tell you not to spend too much time on this, that they're expanding their portfolio. So now they're into the uh, drugstore business and whatever. And that explains part of their diversified uh, profits, I guess. All right. That's a debate for another day. Um, (laughs) You know, Mitch, uh, you want to talk about mortgage strategy and the mess of all of this. Uh, Is it getting any better? Is it getting any worse? Um, (laughs) Where are we uh, coming at this point of the year? Yeah, well, interest rates, obviously, they affect mortgages quite a bit. And uh, the housing correction has been going on for about a year now. It took a little while for the housing market to come down uh, as much as the stock market, uh, mainly because the stock market, it's it's a lot easier to sell. It's a liquid uh, asset versus the house, which is a lot more physical. And uh, people also, they have more emotional ties to their house. And they once they see it worth something, they also want to keep it worth something as well, um, especially when they got in at a higher price. Um, it's a lot more time consuming as well. So given that the market usually, it does tend to lag going up as well as coming down. And we're seeing signs right now. I know you just mentioned the interest rates and inflation's coming down. So we're seeing signs 
that the stock market could be reversing. Uh, inflation is coming down, interest rates paused. And I know that even the US, the, the inflation there has come down quite a bit also. Uh, and they're starting to ease up on their interest rate hikes as well. So there are signs that the stock market is going to turn around. And some parts of the market this year are, are up already and we're getting towards the end of March. So first quarter, we might have a positive first quarter. And so if the stocks are starting to come up, you might see housing also start to reverse as well, but it will take longer just as it took longer for housing to come down. It's also going to take longer for housing to get back to where it was. Historically, housing hasn't been a great rate of return if you're comparing it to the TSX or the S&P. Uh, it's just the last few years, especially during COVID, you saw the housing market just really take off and people thought it was the best investment uh, of all time, no matter what. Was, wasn't that the case, Don? Oh, you know what? I always I always liken this when you see all your neighbors and, and friends all of a sudden get into the real estate game and, <laughs> and you say, oh, I'm a contractor now or I'm flipping houses. And it's like, weren't you just you know, working at a, you know, a shoe store or what, whatever it might be. It's, it, they also become gurus in real estate and I say, okay, when they haven't been doing this all their life and all of a sudden you see this influx of people, not only also in the real estate market, uh, you're seeing the real estate agents and it's like, okay, this is getting yeah. way too hot. That Never is a be- very valid point. You know, yeah. uh, you, once you see people who don't normally do it, start jumping into this as, uh, yeah. And you know, the, the old line, once everybody jumps in, it's probably too late. Yeah, hundred percent. And so we did see this, we saw influx of real estate agents and, you know, there's some great real estate agents out there too, but I did, it's just, it's not a coincidence. And then you see all these contractors putting up a shingle. I now renovate houses <laughs> and whatever. And it's like, okay, you know, you weren't doing that before. It's only because there's easy money right now because there's such a demand. Yeah. And so that usually means it's too hot and things get back to the norm. As Mitch was just saying, the real estate is generally, you know, inflation plus one or two percent. It's not 53 percent increase in two years as it had been during the pandemic. Yeah. And when things are so hot, they're due for a pretty sizable correction. But the, if you were to buy over three years ago, you're still sizably up on your investment, but more towards the mean, the median rate of return that you're getting at and not so much that, wow, I just bought this last year and now I already sold it for double, yeah. uh, which is not normal for a house at all. And uh, mortgage rates have gone from lows from COVID of about one and a half percent to now close to five and a half percent and some are over six percent. It really depends if you're looking at fixed or variable. And this also means stress tests to even qualify for a mortgage are now around seven percent just to qualify as well. And you know what a lot of a lot of listeners may not know this, but we we deal in the mortgages also. We we've been a lot of our clients have get mortgages through us. We offer awesome rates. And I know back when during COVID, we're telling all our clients lock up for five years. We were not saying do not go variable because you know what? You can get one and a half percent, as Mitch said, to 2%. Don't be greedy. Yes, you could get 1.2% in the variable. But this is anytime you get around 2%, like that is on sale. It's a bargain. And so thankfully, most of our clients listened. In fact, I don't know any that didn't. But I do know I'm getting some calls now, people that are in variable, and their costs per month have, in some cases, tripled. Yeah. I had a discussion just this past week of someone, unfortunately, uh, they didn't reach out about their mortgage um, and they're with a different institution and that broker 
put them into variable and they went up from about three to now 7% on their mortgage and they're paying over a thousand dollars more per month. So you're looking at $12,000 per year, just, uh, just because the interest rates have risen. Now on the bright side, they have withstand this much of the interest rate hikes and like Canada just paused it, the worst is likely behind us. So their max pay should be right about now and they should be reducing sometime in the near future but that's that's speculation unfortunately they didn't lock in at that time but let's look at another example I'd like to get into the market people would like to get into the market now with higher interest rates and they think it's a bad thing to do but the overall cost of the house is down and that means your down payment will not have to be as much also means your debt's not going to have to be as big and it, it's interesting psychological aspects with humans that most rather have a bigger debt at a lower interest rate uh, than a smaller debt at a higher interest rate. So let's take an example here. And prime, like in COVID, you're buying a million dollar house and the interest rates, let's say you got one at 3% and you locked in for five years. You put 20% down, which is $200,000. And now you have an $800,000 mortgage. Your monthly payment is going to be $3,785 a month. And after five years uh, is, is done, your mortgage is going to be $683,800 remaining on it. Now let's take conditions right now. Uh, most houses are down around 20 to 30% actually right now, but let's do 20% cheaper. $800,000 home and you put 20% down, which is $160,000. So you've already put $40,000 less into your house as a down payment, and you have a $640,000 mortgage at 5.5% interest rate. So 2.5% more interest on your monthly payment, and your payment's going to be $3,906. So it's slightly higher, but after five years, your mortgage is only going to be $570,000 owing. And now let's reduce that to 3% and get those interest rates equal. And that $570,000 mortgage owing is only going to be $2,700 a month. And your mortgage is going to be $110,000 less than the debt from example A. That's $1,000 a month cheaper payment and $110,000 less in debt. So people who are scared to get into the housing market right now just because interest rates are high doesn't really make sense. It's the same as buy low, uh, sell high, and same as... Uh, selling high and buying low is just basic economics. And right now, housing market, the prices have come down. And just because interest rates are high, it's kind of scaring people from getting into the market, even though they're going to have to put less to enter. But if we take one more strategy here, um, we'll take that same $800,000 house, put 20% down, and you have that $640,000 mortgage in both of these scenarios. But one strategy I think people should consider right now is taking a much higher interest rate and lock in for one year fixed mortgage. And you can get that for around 6.2%. 6, 6. Uh, 6 and you lock in for one year. <clears throat> but, and uh, if you lock in for that one year, uh, you'll lock in and then uh, your mortgage will go down to 570,812. And then after that, if you lock in for four year, and let's go to 3.75, which is not unreasonable to think that we can get there. The end of your mortgage balance after five years is going to be $562,000. And even if it's only, if it drops down to 4% mortgage and you locked in for that one year at 6%, your mortgage is going to be $564,000. 
But if you were to lock in right now for five years at five and a half, uh, your $640,000 mortgage is going to be worth $570,000. So this creates, by doing this one-year lock and then getting into a mortgage after more, after interest rates start to drop, you're saving yourself about $6,000 to $8,000 over that five-year period. So you're going to have a much lower mortgage rate just by locking in at a higher rate right now. It's it's almost that short-term pain, long-term game situation. Obviously, interest rates do have to come down, but you're already seeing, seeing Canada pause interest rates, and you're also seeing mortgages mortgage rates start to come down as it is. There were 6% fixed it, fixed rates prior, and now we're already at 5.5. And I know I saw IG actually offer 4.84. So we are very compa uh, comparable to other banks as well for their rates, um, very competitive. So you should be checking us out. Uh, when you are looking to do your mortgages and also having a good financial advisor that can create these strategies for you instead of just giving you the going rate and locking you in for five years. That may not be the best situation for you right now, especially with the given environment. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Taking a break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. You know, we were sort of on this theme last week, Don, and here we go back around, but I guess it's the circle of life. What yes. happened? What happens to your debt when you die? You know what? I had I, uh, a good friend of mine. Unfortunately, his dad passed away, and he he led into a story of of the situation. and And I'll get to that in a second. I'll share that story with the listeners here. But just to piggyback on Mitch's um, a great article by Rob Carrick in the Globe Mail this past week. It was called "The Good, the Sad, and the Unaffordable," <laughs> and it was all about the housing market. And I thought it was uh, interesting for us because Hamilton was right in it and i'll get you an idea it was by the way it wasn't the best position to be in in there but the winning in terms of affordability is edmonton winnipeg or quebec city right now so if anybody wants to move to the, any of those three cities based on the median income you would have a down payment of 10 percent if you started saving right now by summer of 25. so basically just over two years you could buy a house in any of those three cities now the exact other end of the spectrum is the unaffordable, which you probably would guess it would be Toronto, Vancouver. It would take 311 months to save in for a Toronto house or 26 years or 342 months for Vancouver, 28.5 years, just to get a 10% down payment. And that doesn't even include what happens if housing prices continue to rise. And it, Another ones that were actually fairly reasonable were Montreal and Ottawa. It would take another year, year and a half from so 2026 to 2027. So not bad there. But interestingly, uh, Edmonton 
was the king of affordability. So anybody want to go to Edmonton for a king of condos, it would take 15 months of savings to buy a, a condo in Edmonton. Um, on the other end, the saddest affordability story turned out to be Hamilton. <laughs> okay. Really? <laughs> Where houses have soared in price because of the city's location, short drive from Toronto. Hamilton remained more affordable than Toronto, thankfully, but it still needed 80 months to build a house, to build a, a, a down payment for that house. And that is literally double from the two, from 2000, where it used to take 32 months to save for a house in Hamilton. Now it takes 78.7 months. So Hamilton has soared, and is, I guess the saddest story is it used to take a lot less time. So just to kind of finish off uh, Mitch's story there. Well, I, I know even even rent in Hamilton, I just saw the other day, it's gone up 23% from March last year. Yeah. So the, the median rent right now, so even if, you, if you're not going to start buying a Hamilton, the median rent in Hamilton for a one-bedroom condo is $2,000. Wow. Amazing. And you, you know, but really, um, is anybody surprised here, considering over the last 20 years or so, how depressed Hamilton has been while areas around it have taken off. Now I've had, I've heard many say it's Hamilton just simply catching back up. Yeah. And basically that seems to be the case right now. Um, yeah. It is just down the highway um, and go train runs all the way to Hamilton now. So, you know, there's other reasons. Yeah, sure. So, and uh, it's just too unaffordable in Toronto. Yeah. So it yeah. just continues to get further and further away. Yeah. So back Back on my friend's story here. So his dad passed away, owned a business, and he and he hadn't filed any income tax for seven years. And unfortunately, he passed away. So, you know, he, first of all, it's an administrative nightmare for the beneficiaries. So they would have to go back through seven years of files. And if the files weren't kept up, which sounds like they were not very well kept, then it's up to the beneficiaries to go through Everything from trying to find checks to all expenses, just, uh, you know, you can only imagine. And it's already a stressful time. Anytime, you know, you know, your parent passes away, it, it's sad enough. And then when the dust settles, you say, OK, now we got to kind of get our, you know, our everything in order. And so what, you know, who's accountable for this debt? And this is where the story gets a little more interesting. Well, first of all, they have to go through all these and file and then find out what is the debt. So number one is fight, figure out how big this debt is. And tax is part of the debt. So you go through and uh, if, if you had uh, capital gains or income for the year, those, that's all debt. Uh, that will all create income that will create a tax debt. So on top of that, any creditors, credit, um, credit cards, any car loans, anything like that, it all goes to the estate of the deceased. So the estate has to pay the tax. And so then what if there's not enough money in the estate to pay the tax? And this is often, it's very, it, it's some gray area here, but quite often the debt will die at death. They cannot go after the beneficiaries. They can't go after the kids. They can't go after just because you're related to them. It, nobody else has to pay the debt. And, and so it generally will die. And so what I want to kind of do is go through some of the rules of how important it is to have named beneficiaries on, on things and in in a lot of other ways to make sure you protect your estate and also don't have any kind of alarming results 
that were unintended. You were, you expected money to go to certain beneficiaries, and because you didn't do things, it could be totally a rat's nest, if you will. So, first of all, your debt goes to the estate, as I mentioned, which then is there's a will, and hopefully, if you have a will, if you don't have a will, you go you an Ontario Succession Law Reform Act will lay out a general inheritance plan for you, and the the court will appoint an estate trustee that will manage and distribute the assets. Well, the only way you distribute assets is the executor then looks at all the assets, less the debts, and then pays it all out. And that's how it works. And so it's up to the executor to do this. And by, by the way, if you're an executor, it's a job. I literally had somebody that paid out all the money and realized that there was a still a debt left. They hadn't done the tax return. And they paid all the money first. And it turned out that there was about a $3,000, not a lot of money in this example, but it could have been a $30,000 debt. But the bank didn't make them aware of it. It was a, uh, it was, it simply went to the beneficiary and the estate had to pay the tax. Well, the executor paid all the money and said, well, why wasn't I told this? You know what? I understand it's, it's a job and it's up to the executor to know the rules. And unfortunately, it's the bank isn't there often to help you with this. I know we actually have a personal representative checklist that I'll be going through a little later that goes through some of the rules that an executor must do. So, so if you have a, a mortgage, for example, well, the joint owner of the house will continue with the mortgage. So that mortgage doesn't go through the estate per se. It is simply inherited. That debt is inherited by whoever owns the house. And so if it's a spouse that owns half the house, they continue with the mortgage payments. As soon as a beneficiary is put on title, they now assume the mortgage of that house. Otherwise, the creditors can sell all the assets in the estate. So it couldn't, in fact, be your property, it could be your vehicles, it could be investments, it could be heirlooms, it could be anything. Whatever is in the estate can be sold to pay off the debts. And it's fair game. It's kind of ruthless, but at the end of the day, hey, if you, uh, if you were the one lending the money, you could understand why hey, you, want your, you want your money back. That's why you lent it to them. So they will literally repossess the property if mortgage payments are missed. And this is common practice. They don't want to do this. It's a pain for the institutions to repossess anything. But again, they will. They have to do what they have to do. So if you die without assets or savings to pay the credit cards, the debt would die with you. So when they go through, a, so when you go to the estate and there's not enough money in the estate to make this, the debt will die. Um, so this, the exception to this is, and this is why it's really important, be careful if you co-sign something. Because if you co-sign, you're untitled for that debt, basically. So, you've, And this is very common on mortgages. So if somebody misses, start misses the mortgage payments, well, they'll start going after the one that co-signed it. Also, the same goes with anything else that's co-signed. If there's a debt, it could be a car loan, and you needed somebody to co-sign on a car loan. The, uh, you know, the institution that lent the money will go after you. Now, life insurance is a great way to help the estate. So life insurance will then create enough money 
and hopefully to pay off that mortgage, if you will, if that's one of the things. And that's often called mortgage insurance. I know Mitch and I have discussed mortgage insurance. And the ones that when you go to a bank or a trust company, it's enough to pay off whatever the mortgage is. Whereas if you just simply get life insurance, it doesn't go down in value as you pay down the debt. So if you have a start off with a half a million dollar mortgage and, a, and you decide to get mortgage insurance and it, the debt is now down to 400,000, you've paid off 100,000 over the years, the mortgage insurance will pay off the 400,000. But if you got a $500,000 life insurance policy, by the way, quite often it's actually less expensive than mortgage insurance too. Because all the underwriting, they know your health situation quite, quite deep in, in detail and you may get a better rate. And actually most times you do. Anyway, upon death, you still have the $500,000 life insurance. So not only can you use that money to pay off the mortgage, the beneficiaries will end up with an extra 100000 So there's lots to do there. So at the end of the day, when you go through um, uh, the debt situation as an executor and you look through, okay, here are the assets, here are the debts. So what about RSPs? So this is where it gets tricky. So if you put on, on the beneficiary, I'm leaving the estate as the beneficiary of my RSP because I wanted to go to the kids and or the or my spouse, if you will. It doesn't really matter. Anything that leaves the estate will go through the estate and that creates part of the estate, which again will pay the creditors. Now the big creditor in an RSP will be the government. So if you have a $500,000 RSP and you die and you leave the estate as beneficiary, it goes directly to the estate um, and it will pay the, about half of that money will go to the government. On the other hand, let's say you leave it to your, your spouse. Well, it's a direct spousal rollover to a wife or a husband. So they assume it and there is no tax to the estate either in that case. And in fact, if, if in the will it says my spouse will inherit it, it will end up going to the that person's RSP again with no tax. So it's a it, RSP. So as long as you have a spouse, it's not a big deal. But what if there's no spouse? Let's say it goes to your kids. Well, if you leave, and, and we've used this example a few times, you have two kids. One kid, you see, you know, he or she's going to get the cottage. The other kid's going to get the RSP. They're both worth, call it five hundred thousand dollars. Well. On paper, I always think, well, the RSP is still taxable money. I'd rather get the cottage. And even though they're both 500,000, well, really what ends up happening is the one child getting the RSP gets the whole RSP, gets the $500,000. Doesn't have to pay tax on it. They get the whole, 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 the whole enchilada there. And who pays the tax? The estate. The estate pays the tax on this. Well, the estate is the cottage. So the other child that got the cottage ends up having to sell the cottage to pay the tax. And so they end up with a lot less money than the one getting the RSP. And so really check your beneficiaries. In fact, we had a situation about a year ago, and I'll just change the numbers a little bit. But let's say, and this actually happened. So the husband died and left $500,000 in the RSP, which is common to the wife. Unfortunately, it wasn't his current wife, okay? It was his ex-wife, and that should be no problem. They, they checked it all out, and his current wife says, well, we have all the documentation. 
it shows that he is not responsible. Any of these assets aren't we? Everything's done. We don't have to pay the ex-wife any more money. And they went through it and says, well, you volunteered to pay it when you put beneficiary as the ex-wife. They didn't change it. So the $500,000 went to the ex-wife. Who paid the tax? <laughs> the current wife. So not oh, only did... Oh, my. So not only didn't the, the current wife get the 500000 she had to pay the $250,000 tax bill that the ex-wife got the money. And the ex-wife didn't even get in an RSP form. The ex-wife, it's clean money because it's not a spousal rollover. So she's sitting there with $500,000 of just money, not RSP money anymore. And the current wife paid the tax bill on it. And that's so, over and done. There's no court visit. There's no nothing. That's it. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of scenarios. And this is so important to make sure that you got your beneficiaries. And same with TFSAs. TFSAs or tax-free savings accounts have a direct beneficiary. It doesn't form part of the estate. So the government will go after the estate. This is where do not, and trust me, they will try to go after the beneficiaries because, hey, listen, there's no money in the estate. I'm going after the beneficiaries. The reading I have done says that the beneficiaries, in some cases, do owe the money. And I've seen in other cases, the beneficiaries do not owe the money. And so once the beneficiaries owe, write a check to the creditor, maybe the government, whoever it is, they've basically paid the creditor. They're, they're done. They're not going to get that money back. Before you write a check, seek professional guidance through a lawyer, a tax lawyer, to make sure you actually owe the money because you may not have to. And in a perfect situation, the debt dies with the deceased. Wow. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. So it's a time of year. Uh, spring arrived this week. And uh, we're going to talk about financial spring cleaning here, Mitch. Yeah, finally hearing the birds chirp and getting some nice weather. Uh, 14 degrees was a nice change of pace from minus 14 and 14 inches of snow. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, for so for many, spring means opening your windows, sweeping the dust and rotating your wardrobes uh, from spring to from uh, winter to spring and summer clothes. But another thing you should be looking at is doing some spring cleaning on your finances. So one way to start this is to clean up your accounts. Many find it challenging to keep track of your various financial accounts. Lots of people have checking savings at one bank, brokerage account at another, and individual retirement account at another institution. Having a number of accounts at different institutions can make your financial house feel very disorganized. You're getting paperwork from all sorts of different companies. Consider consolidating your accounts to one relationship. Having multiple advisors and accounts can get really confusing, and it can also be hurting your overall financial plan. 
having one advisor doing one portion and another doing another portion can have them each doing different strategies, which is actually working against one another. Having two advisors is it's not the same as diversifying your investment portfolio. Uh, I know, Don, you, you love to talk about that one. And you've got a couple of <laughs> good sayings up your sleeve. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like, you know, GICs are really popular right now. And so people are diversifying GICs. And they're, so they're going to different <laughs> banks. And at the end of the day, they're still GICs. I know there's depositors insurance, but you know what? It's That's not diversifying. And neither is having a bunch of, say, Canadian mutual funds at different institutions. They all own yeah. a lot of the same companies. So you're not diversifying at all. So really, as our job is, is allocating, looking at the big picture and getting an overall allocation. And, and we'll show, are you diversified or aren't you? <laughs> uh, Declaring two GICs at different institutions. Wow, 3% at each one's the same thing. <laughs> Number two, declutter your debt. If you have multiple loads of credit cards with different interest rates and payment dates, dates, it might be time to consider debt consolidation. Paying off your various debts in one single loan with a competitive interest rate not only helps you save money, it also leaves you with one simple payment each month instead of having five different ones, whether that's car, house, investment loan. There could be so many different credit card. Uh, try to simplify and get organized. Uh, next one is toss out some paper. If you're still getting paper statements from financial institutions, why not change your preferences to go paperless? Uh, I know Don really likes his paper, but he's also, <laughs> he's, he's in that age group. <laughs> I'm a boomer. I'm a boomer. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. You, exactly. I like to, you know, I, I have the digital form, but you know what? Nothing better than a piece of paper every so often. Yeah. Your paper calendar on your desk says the same thing. <laughs> hey, what's Hey, what's wrong with that? See, another boomer. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, I know. <laughs> Denial. Your, your kid's going to come steal your calendar. You're not going to know what your life is going with the next week. <laughs> but, hey, the same, thing, the same thing would happen to you if you lost your phone, young man. That's very true. I agree with you. Thank God, thank God for iCloud. <laughs> oh, touche. Uh, didn't expect that from a millennial, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Look, look at that critical thinking. Uh, as for existing paper records, uh, institutions keep them on record and they have uploaded them up to their online access. I know at Investors Group, we have an app and we also have online access. So you can get your statements there. They look the exact same as your paper statements, as well as your tax slips for your first 60 days or uh, any other tax slips that you're looking for. You can get them on the app there as well. Yeah, as you just mentioned, that right now is a great time to recognize it's so nice to have a tax package online for, for those that are getting paperless. And and so they can click there. They they don't know if any, you know, one of the things when you're getting T5 slips, T4 slips, et cetera, um, did I receive all the slips? Did yeah. it my RSP slip? Nice thing is one click of a button and it'll just open an envelope and you'll see all the tax slips. Yeah. And, and, you know, to defend the old farts, that is the greatest thing about being online is that you don't have to go looking for all that stuff. It's just all right there. And you have a tendency to keep a better handle on it because it is so convenient. hundred percent. Yeah. And with April coming up, uh, obviously income tax deadline, it's, it's a big thing to start looking at your app and finding all of your tax slips in time for that. But another one that for good spring cleaning is cancel unused or unnecessary subscriptions. So you could spend $100 a month on cable or you could spend $10 on video streaming like 
Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon. There's so many right now. And some people don't realize how much they're actually spending on these subscriptions. And they really do add up. And who knows, you should really check the usage of which ones you use the most and maybe get rid of one here and there. And whether that's a gym membership or or Netflix. I know during COVID, there were, a lot of people got Peloton subscriptions. And uh, that's $60 a month. If you're not using that Peloton, well, why not put it on pause or something, at least for the spring, get outside, do some walking. No, put, it, you, put it on Kijiji. Yeah, do something <laughs> like that. But at least you can get outside when it's warm outside. Put that Peloton subscription on pause, put that extra $60 a month into something else, whether that's your TFSA, RSP, or or even renting a bike for $60 a month and getting outside. <laughs> it's It's good to get your sunshine when you can get it here in Ontario. <laughs> All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Taking a break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, our last segment here, Don, personal executor checklist. What's this all about? Yeah, your executor or the executor checks of your estate it's, as I mentioned in the last section, and by the way, I'm not going to be talking about death next week. I just want to get this. It's so important. It's part of the overall plan, but it's a big responsibility being an executor. And so some of the actions, and again, any of the listeners, please drop a line, send us an email. We can send this to you, send the soft copy to you, and, and you'll have it. Um, but anyway, preliminary actions is notify the deceased family, friends, and the employer particularly. I would hope the deceased family would know, but the employer of the death. Um, locate wills on all documents relating to the estate, including marriage contracts and shareholder agreements. Okay. Very important if you own a corporation. Um, make funeral arrangements and, and pay the funeral expenses. Quite often, a funeral home may have already had a, a prearranged funeral, which makes it easier. So you don't have to make a lot of arrangements there. Um, get several copies of the um, death certificate. We, uh, you know, from our standpoint, we receive these all the times. They usually just dole out a bunch of them, but everybody needs an original um, death certificate. And make sure all the assets belonging to the deceased, such as credit cards, jewelry, stock certificates, are stored securely. You know what? Jewelry is a very big one. It's interesting how, and I hate to say it, but sometimes uh, some of these assets go missing if the, if the executor hasn't put them away. And... Next thing you know is your mother's ring is on on your step niece. And so it's not the way it should be. And they have no right to take things. They have to go through it. The executor has to follow the will and, and as you know, at the end of the day. So can open up an estate bank account so you can keep track of the comings and goings. In fact, get a binder. And again, I know Mitch, you can say put it in an app, but it's so nice to simply write everything down and so that there's a solid, every single thing an executor do uh, does rather, write it down, okay? Because there's a lot of th stuff that needs to be done. Um, meet with the wills and estates lawyer and uh, start to 
look at any financial needs that need to be met. Uh, make a list of the named beneficiaries in this, and quite often immediate family members if there is no will, along with the addresses and birth dates or approximate ages. Uh, make a list of the deceased personal belongings, such as furniture, collectibles, artwork, vehicles, RVs. Get, basically, you're creating what we call personal financial review. We do this for all our clients, but we need you need to do an estate PFR and put down all the assets. Um, you know, lo, arrange local post office to readdress mailing. Um, contact the CRA and Canada Pension Plan, anything to do with the government, letting them know that they've passed away, so even driver's license for that matter. And determine if the deceased had any social media accounts. This is very important. And try to eliminate those. So, because those will just live on forever. And uh, so again, this is why it's also important to have in, in the will, I wouldn't say it has to be part of the will, but in just as a written document, all the passwords to yeah. all these social media things. Yeah. It's extremely important. Um, so locate the bank accounts and all the investments, speak to the institutions. And again, look at great creating an estate account. Cancel and destroy all the credit cards. Gather those in last those latest investment statements. And what we'll do also for any clients of ours, we we provide the capital gains and what everything is worth on the date of death. We have an estate department that will look after all that for you. And again, speak to your financial advisor and make sure that you're not doing anything, you know, off that will end up costing. Because you're the executor could be liable for debts or things that were overlooked. So, you know, make sure you're looking after everything and you have everything in order. Consult with a tax accountant. This is probably the most important is, as we talked about earlier, the taxes are also, are usually the biggest creditor on an estate. And this is why tax planning is so important. Estate planning is so important. If you're going to give you know, up to half your net worth to the government, you know, you can tell they're going to end up, they'll, they'll want their money. So make sure the planning has to be done before a person dies. So whether it's insurance to cover it, whether it's getting rid of um, income splitting, getting rid of some of the assets before you die, there's lots of strategies to try to eliminate some of that tax has to be done years in advance. But there's a, a, a large amount of checklists here of, of things that need to be done. And it's extremely important in settling this. But as I mentioned, keep accurate records, including invoices, receipts, and any payments or distributions made. Because quite often, there will be in a beneficiary that may not like what has taken place. And everybody was nice before. And sometimes money will often bring out the worst in people. Also bring out the best in people. But to protect yourself, write down everything and keep track of all invoices, all your expenses, because those are paid by the estate. And lastly... You are part of the uh, part of those distributions, and as an executor, you could you were you probably could get up to five percent as a remuneration for all the work you're doing. And don't think for a second that you're not worth it because it could be quite complicated. It is a lot of work. Uh, we have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. 
Thank you, gentlemen. Another great week. We'll chat again this time next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.